0: In case you've not figured out about uh, Dan Smith, if I tell you a funny story at the beginning, sometimes my motivation for doing that is that's going to be your moment of laughter and uh, we're probably going to have some intensity for the next few minutes. And so that's the case today. Um, Let me just ask the Lord to help me. Father, I ask for your grace to be upon us as we open your word today. I ask that you give wings to my words. And I ask that you will overcome my inadequacies and my inabilities. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, you will allow your word to penetrate deep within our hearts. Lord, illuminate our hearts today. Let us be doers of the word and not hearers only. For we say it in Jesus' name. God's people said. Amen. I don't know how many of you were here um, back when the transition took place from Pastor Des being the senior pastor, I'm sure many or most of you were, and to... Uh, us being the senior pastor. One of the first sermons I preached back at that time was um, on the idea of being a reacher. A reacher. Uh, I'm not going to ask how many remember because I'm too afraid that no one does. And so, um, but it is an idea that we've talked about repeatedly and it's come, it has come up often. I have uh, rehearsed this Reacher idea time and again with our very gifted staff, even, even recently. It's very simple. A Reacher is one who knows how to get out beyond themselves. A Reacher is one who has the, ability to, has the ability to recognize others around them and have the ability to truly see them, not just see that they're there, but really see them, to see them in their needs to see them in their struggles, uh, to see their challenges, and and to be willing to get out of yourself and be used of God to minister to them. In other words, that's reaching. That's how you reach. Uh, with that being a very broad stroke of the brush, that's essentially where this message is going today, only with a much different route than we've ever taken before. I'm going to take you to the New Testament. If you have your Bible with you, of course we'll be we'll be projecting as well, but. One thing that we see often in scripture is about storms. Storms arise often throughout the gospels and and we hear of them in the book of Acts. But in Acts chapter 27, we read of one which I think may um, uh, hold something of interest for us today. It's in this passage where we find that Paul has been arrested, Um, he has been in prison And now he, along with other prisoners, are being sent to Italy on a ship. But though they had been warned by the Spirit of God through the Apostle Paul not to take this journey, guess what? They wouldn't listen. And by the way, when we do not heed the word of the Lord, we can pretty much be assured that we too will be headed into a storm. How many have lived enough life to know that that's true? So I want to pick up the story. That's the background of it. I want to pick up the story at verse twenty. And if you notice, I have a new friend with me here today. It's this nice screen. I think someone must have told the staff that if you get uh, Pastor Dan a nice screen there, he'll preach shorter. So they rushed right out and got one. And uh, we're going. The scriptures are going to be projected. Uh, going to be projected here. Let me see Acts uh, twenty-seven. It says, the terrible storm, and choir, we will figure out how to make this possible for you to see it up here sometime, okay? We just ran into that. Um, the terrible storm raged for many days, blotting out the sun and the stars, until at last all hope was gone. No one had eaten for a long time. Finally, Paul called the crew together, and he's a prisoner. He called the crew together. He says, men... You should have listened to me in the first place. Ladies, would you say that line with me? Men. Now, uh, uh, oh, come on. That's not the way you say it at home. A little more attitude, please. Janice has got it down here. She's, <laughs> she's got the whole thing going on. That's what Paul said. Men, you should have listened to me in the first place and not left Crete, what he says you would have avoided all this damage and loss. But take courage. He says, none of you will lose your lives even though this ship will go down. Why? For last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, stood beside me. And he said, don't be afraid, Paul, for you will surely stand trial before Caesar. What's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone who is sailing with you. So take courage, for I believe God. It will be just as he said. Now this passage speaks to us of God's ability to bring us to that place where we walk above the storm. And here's what I want to encourage you with today, church. The storm does not have to dominate your life. It does not have to dominate your thinking. It does not have to consume you, your every waking thought. It does not, certainly does not uh, take away your purpose, your purpose in God. And I want you to remember that today. It cannot steal the word of God from you. Somebody say, bless the Lord. And it doesn't have to cause, it doesn't have to uh, give us cause to run around in fear and hopelessness. Is that true? But there's another storm in Scripture, and I'm going to use these two interchangeably, and I'll talk about that in a second. This storm is given to us in Mark chapter 4. This time it's not Paul and the prisoners that he is with. This time it's the Lord Jesus and his disciples. And I want us to do a little compare and contrast uh, to the Acts 27 storm that we just read from the book of Acts. And we're going to look at this from Mark chapter 4. This is the storm with Jesus. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon, a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. So when you compare um, this Mark narrative, this storm in Mark, with the first one that we read from, from the book of Acts, we see that in this one, they have Jesus, the disciples have Jesus in the boat with them. In other words, the presence of God is there in their journey to another place. We also see... That unlike the other storm, they are not traveling alone because it says other boats are following. And then the storm arose, causing great waves to fill the boat with water. I just gotta ask has anybody ever been there in a storm? No one has been in a storm. Of course you have. The truth is, some of you are in one today. I know you are. Let me go on. Mark, the 38th verse of Mark 4. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and he said to the waves, Silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. And then he asked them, Why why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They ask each other that even the wind and the waves obey him. In this Mark 4 passage, what we see here is that the following of Christ for these disciples was largely built on what I'm going to refer to today as the initial things, the first things. And we're not going to blame the disciples for that being the case. We're not going to fault them for that because you and I were probably drawn to Christ as a result of the initial things. Most of us who come to Christ come to him because we're hurting, we're broken, uh, we're empty, we're in trouble, or we're somehow uh, longing for something deeper than the life that we have known to that point. And I think it's... Safe to say, when we want to look at these initial things, if you're taking notes, we'll have them here, and there'll be a scripture reference that you'll see there. The disciples' following of Christ was largely about the miracles that he was performing. I'm going to reference Mark uh, four forty-one, and they see him. They see that they're following him because the, all of the miracles that are taking place all, all around him that had to be uh, an attraction to Christ for them. And they were following him because they're witnessing the power that he has. Acts 1.6. They knew and they had discovered in being around Jesus that he had the power to push back darkness. How many are thankful for that? He had the power to push back darkness. He had the power to push back an encroaching ideology which was beginning to swallow the, the borders of the nation of Israel. And the disciples believed that this man, Jesus, had the power to push back on all of these influences. That's also was an attraction to them, the power that he had. I believe the disciples also followed him for the excitement, the excitement that he was generating. Remember in Luke 1, 17, where it tells us that when the 72, uh, when the 72 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. That had to be exciting. That had to stir something up. Even the demons are obeying us. That was a reason why people were attracted to Christ, one of the initial things. So miracles, power, excitement. But I also believe they were following him, following Christ, because of position. You're going to remember that it was James and John who said in Mark 10, 37, when you sit... On your glorious throne, we want to sit in places. We want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. They were following him for position. I also think they were following Christ for the provision that He was bringing. John six thirteen. So they—that's yeah—they you know, had witnessed the, uh, the the miracle of, of feeding the five thousand. So they picked up the pieces. And they filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. They had discovered that food and all of the other things that they need in life, all the other provision of necessities was in his hand. Christ had it all. And so what is clear from Scripture is that in the early season, at least, of the experience of the disciples with the Lord Jesus, the disciples were following him, for many of the same reasons that new believers today follow Christ. And let me say that there's a time for that. It's not an inappropriate thing. Um, it's important to understand, particularly in, if you're at the beginning of your walk with Christ, that he truly can perform miracles. That there is no shortage in his power to push back darkness. It's certainly appropriate to be excited about your new life in Christ. There is an absolute joy and exuberance and excitement about coming to know the Lord. And I will even say there's a time when we gravitate toward positions, even in the church, and in that there is at least an aspiration to serve God. And of course, there will always be times and seasons in your life when you are particularly grateful that God is our provider. My guess would be that in this room there's more than one testimony of people who say I am so thankful that I have personally experienced God being Jehovah Jireh in my life. Is that true for anybody here today? So we see all these things, all these well they went away. All these initial things. Isn't that amazing? You can do that. We see all these initial things that were the attraction. Miracles, power, excitement, position, provision was all there. Why wouldn't they follow Christ? Why wouldn't they believe in him? Why wouldn't they trust him when they saw he had all of this ability? But yet, in spite of all of that, when the storm came, you know what they did? They accused him of not caring about them. They woke him up to say, uh, I I love the way it is in the Old King James King James, carest thou not that we perish? We've seen you do all of these things. We understand that you're not just an ordinary guy. There's something spectacular and supernatural about you. We see all of that. So, But the storm came, and what did that do within our human nature? He, they said, do you not care about our situation? Do you not even see what's going on? And church, here's the truth. When you and I are following him for the previous these reasons, when the storm comes, our prayers can also become accusations as well. Lord, where are you? Have you forgotten me? I, look at this that I'm in. I just I don't feel you, I don't, I don't see you. Where are you? And I don't even think you care what's going on. When when I'm experiencing the life that I'm experiencing and the, the struggles that I'm experiencing, I wonder if you even care. And we end up saying in maybe our own way, carest thou not that I perish? And yet later on, we see that when Jesus spoke of being given of himself for the sake of others and asked some of them to pray with him in the garden, do you remember what they did? They fell asleep. They went to sleep. And that's why Jesus had to say to Peter in Luke twenty-two thirty-two. he said this, When you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Now, I want to just take a little side trail here for just a minute and see the importance of what Jesus says. Strengthen your brothers. I believe we're going to have to come to a renewed understanding, particularly after what we've experienced this year, To know that our worship experience is not only vertical, and it is. We've given our worship unto the Lord Jesus this morning. It is vertical. Listen to me. Listen. But our worship also, is this vertical? Yeah. Our worship is also horizontal. What do you mean by that, Pastor Dan? Yes, we worship the Lord. And I've known and you've known way too many people. It's just me and Jesus. We're doing good. All is well. But that's only a part of your experience of worship. All throughout scripture, Christ is teaching us. You are connected to others in fellowship. And literally, you cannot ignore his words. And when you have repented and turned to me again, I'm going to get to that, strengthen your brothers. Why would I come to church? I literally had someone say to me recently. Well, if the you know, church doesn't feel like church, like it used to, and, and if, you know, if I have to do this and I have to do that then I'm not sure I see any point in me being there. Oh, really? Have you read the New Testament? Do you understand that there is value and purpose in your connection and fellowship with others? I am not trying to coerce anyone to return to the campus any sooner than you feel is appropriate and healthy and safe for you. I hope you hear that. We are not applying pressure to people. But my concern, Bethesda, is that we will become, develop habits in this that are not healthy and not right. You know what the scripture says in Hebrews? Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. And the, rest, the next part of that verse says, as has become the habit of many. And I understand right now it's very easy to get up and come to church in your jammies. I get that. And I understand that 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 plays to the convenience within us. It plays to the comfort within us. But I'm saying, Lord, you have got to remind the church, the living church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are designed to live in community and to be together. And one of the things we do when we come together is we encourage each other. My worship is encouraged when I see you lifting your hands and when I see someone lifting their voice. That encourages me. It makes me love Jesus more. I'm probably being reminded what you've done in their life if I know what you've done. And when I see the struggle they've been through and I see the problems they've faced, but I see them with hands lifted and voice lifted, that makes me love Jesus all the more. Our faith is is rejuvenated and revived and fueled by the fact that we are worshiping together. And look what Jesus said. When you have repented. Now, we all know that Peter was extremely sincere. He was intentional in his commitment to Christ. Lord, I'm going to live for you." you. You know that. I'm willing to die for you. I will follow you even when others deny you. Jesus, you can count on me. I'm going to be there. That was his his attitude. And Jesus looked at Peter and he says, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. Talk all you want. But Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And... When you have repented, many verses say, when you, are, when, you, when you are converted, converted, I thought he was a believer. He was. Now, we know Christ has not yet died on the cross for his sins. We understand that. But he's already a believer in Christ. You mean I have to be converted again? I'm just telling you what the scripture says, that Jesus looked at Peter, who was a follower of Christ, and he said, when you have repented, when you are converted, and turn to me again. And what he's basically saying to Peter was this, Peter, you have good intentions, but without the new mind, without the new heart, without the new spirit promised to you by God, you will eventually only live to preserve yourself. In spite of all the reasons that Peter had followed the Son of God, and we've already listed them. In fact, he had even walked on water. But when it came down to actually following the Son of God and giving himself wholly for the purposes of Christ and his kingdom and encouraging his brothers and, and sisters and giving himself to others who needed a Savior he drew back. And he warmed himself by the wrong fire and he began to curse and deny that he had ever even met the Savior. Because ultimately, without the Spirit of God, Bethesda, we will all live simply and only to preserve ourselves. It's human nature. It's the reality of our human condition. But when the heart of God is in you, When that's what's beating in your chest, it is then that you will find the strength to help others through the storm. And you will be ready to be a reacher, and you will reach to others. That's the difference. The natural man does not have that strength to care about anybody else other than himself, in the storm particularly. But when the Spirit of God finally gets a hold of us, then we can no longer serve God just for what we're going to get. Even though those attractions, those allurements, the initial, uh, the initial things are all there. But we have to come to a point of maturity. We cannot stay in that place. And when we allow the Spirit of God to have full control over our lives, it's no longer about serving Jesus just for what we can get. This room is so quiet. Because we are also called to serve him for the sake of others. That the lost should be saved. That those who have no helper might find help in God. That we might become a testimony of this incredible grace of God. That sent his son to a cross to die for all people. That they might have eternal life. At this early time of following Christ in Mark four thirty-six. The disciples cared very little to nothing for the others who were also trying to make it to the other side. Remember we read the scripture a while ago and it said there were other boats with them? They had no concern. Uh, And when the disciples were with Christ in the boat, the winds rose, the water was beating against the boat, they awakened Christ and said, carest thou not that we perish? And the reality of it is, they didn't care at all that they were perishing. That the others were perishing. And the other boats, who were also trying to get to the other side. Who were also in a storm. A self-focused church does not have the heart of God at its center core. Any church that lives only unto itself is not willing to reach to other people, other people groups, even other nationalities, people who don't necessarily fit your mold, if you are not willing to do that, i got to be honest, then we are not operating according to the heart of God. That is not the heart of God. Someone needs to say that that's the truth today. Anytime we're meeting in the house of God or opening our Bibles or praying or worshiping, and it's all just about me, it's, it's about my provision, it's about the power that I need, it's, it's about the miracle that I need, it's about my position, it's, it's about my excitement, then you know what? We're going to find ourselves in, the, in a storm one day without purpose. And we will go through another storm. This is not the last one, folks. This is not the last one. We will go through another storm. And you want to know what the reality of all of my many, 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 many years of living have taught? Whatever storm you 're in right now there's probably a bigger the next one's going to be bigger there's a bigger one coming. Just be encouraged today in the Lord and you and I have to learn to find purpose in the midst of the storm, just as Paul did. can I tell you that's one of the one of the drivers one of the initial drivers that sent me down this this uh, line of thinking to even share this with you today, because I have asked myself, just as you've been asking yourself, what's the purpose in all of this? Where's this going? What on earth are we going to look like on the other side of it? Will there be another side of it? But I have to believe, and I have to believe that I'm talking to people who have enough experience in God to know that God wastes nothing. He will not allow us to walk through a situation a storm, a a, a difficulty, a trial, without it having purpose in your life. It might not be pretty. It might be ugly. Everything about it might be undesirable. But God wastes nothing. Paul was not living to preserve himself. He had a higher purpose. I want you to see that in Paul today. And a higher calling on his life. And in the midst of the Acts 27 storm where we started... While chaos was gaining momentum, I'm back on that storm. Verse 21 of Acts 27 says this, no one had eaten for a long time. Finally, Paul called the crew together to talk. Now, some versions say this, Paul stood in the midst of them. Get the picture with me. While everyone's running around, chaos everywhere, the storm, throwing the you know, throwing, tackling over the ship, blaming one another. You should have done this. Why aren't you doing that? Cutting off their own supply, doing whatever they could do to figure out how to get through this and get to the other side. That's the atmosphere. That's what's going on. Now, remember, Paul's just a prisoner in the belly of the boat. Got no status. He, he, no, he's, he's not any of that. He's not in charge. But in the midst of all that, all of that chaos, there was a man named Paul who was praying, who was fasting, and he was asking God for a word. And that's where you and I need to be right in the middle of this pandemic. How much time have you spent in prayer, in additional prayer in this pandemic? How much additional time have you spent fasting? And how much time have you spent saying, God, give us a word. What is your purpose? What is your purpose? God had one man there who was able to defeat the power of death That was trying to swallow the 276 people that verse 37 tells us were on that ship. So I'm going to ask you, Bethesda. Think of your world. Think of the office where you work. Maybe the apartment complex where you live. The people in your neighborhood. um, Maybe other parents of kids in the school where your kids attend. Um, The people that are in your world... Many of them, whether it appears like it to you or not, are in a crisis and they're going down. They do not know how to get through tomorrow. But what could happen if there's just one person, one person in the midst of all that mess who's fasting and praying and seeking for a word from God? How many of you know we need a word from the Lord? Verse 20 tells us this, all hope was gone. I think we've been in that stage before. All hope was gone. But verse 25 tells us what Paul said to them. In the midst of the chaos I just described to you, in the midst of a prevailing atmosphere that all hope was gone, one man full of the Holy Ghost and power stood up and said, take courage for I believe God. And it will be just as he said. Just as he said. It's not going to be the way it looks now. It's not going to be the way it looks in that dark sky and that storm. It's not going to be according to the way everybody's acting. It will be as the Lord said. When all hope was gone for everyone else. Paul was the one with a message from God. Paul was the one with a message of hope. He had a word from the Lord. And I want you to remember. He was in that storm too circumstances weren't any better for him. And that doesn't mean you won't be in a storm. He was in that storm. but He was fasting and praying. And God gave him that which was not just for himself. And he knew that, not just for himself, but for others. Church, it's so easy. It's so easy to to just, sometimes you just gotta lean over to somebody that's in your world. You know, get over the being awkward with it. There's no point in that. If God's given you a word, share it. Who cares if it's awkward? Let God deal with that. It's just say, you know what? I just want you to know, God just spoke to my heart. And I, I have a sense of hope for you. And if you'll trust him, and if you'll believe him, you're going to make it through this thing you're going through right now. Strengthen your brothers and sisters in the Lord. If you'll trust him, he's going to be with you. And if you'll do this thing God's way, you know what? I have the assurance in my heart. God's given me a word. You're going to make it safely to the other side. Somebody say, bless the, Lord. bless the Lord. Now, I want you to see a couple of things. Paul had a word, the word God gave him, not only regarding the present storm they were in, but the word God gave him also stretched into his future which is very important for us to note today. For those of you in a storm today who may be praying, God, carest thou not that I perish? Do you not care? The Lord would say to you, and I believe this is a word from the Lord, that he wants you to draw he wants to draw you deeper by the spirit of God. You're seeing this as needing escape. God sees this as he wants to draw you deeper by the spirit of God. And he wants to show you something way beyond your present circumstance. Way beyond your present circumstance. Acts 27, 22. But take courage. None of you will lose your lives. Even though the ship is going to go down. This is the word God gave him. For last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood right beside me. And he said... Don't be afraid, Paul, for you will surely stand trial before Caesar. Future, future. What's more, God in his goodness has granted safety for everybody sailing with you. Come on, somebody. Do you see the future in what God told him? Even in the midst of the fact that it looks like it's the last moment. You see, one of the ways that God has of getting you through your storm is by speaking to you about your future. I I know I reference it all the time. I did this the other other Sunday, March the 8th, 1993. I was held at gunpoint. I've told you the story. But you know what gave me hope? Because for seven or eight minutes, I had uh, a foot on my neck, a knee on my back, and a gun at the base of my brain for about seven or eight minutes. And I was pretty sure this is the end. But I looked over and I saw my future. My head was down like this as he was doing that. And the, his lady counterpart yanked that phone wire out of the wall. I can see it today in my mind so vividly. And the minute she did that, I said, "Hmm, that's because I've got a future. If I didn't have a future, I mean, it, she's doing that because she's afraid I'm going to get up and, and call somebody. I have a future. That's the way God speaks to you through your storm is he gives you a word about your future. It's the best evidence that you're going to make it through this storm and you're going to arrive safely on the other side. Now, how will that work? That may come through a dream. For whatever reason, I'm not normally a dreamer. And when I do, they're weird. I mean, weird. Really weird. And what I do remember of the leaves in 30 seconds after I wake up. But I've had some unusual dreams about people in this church recently. Some of them I've shared, and you know who I'm talking about. They were so vivid, they've been repeating dreams. Some of them about those who have gone on to heaven. They have reappeared in my dreams. At least it has done this. It has caused me to uh, understand that many times God still speaks to us through dreams. And I'll leave my weird ones alone, okay? God may choose to speak to you through a dream. Or whatever way he chooses. Because I just want you to recall, it was Jesus who in John 16, 13 said, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. Hallelujah. 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 Most of you know that when I transitioned into being the senior pastor Bethesda I did not necessarily come willingly. You've heard that story. I could not imagine who would be crazy enough to try to follow Pastor Des in the office of senior pastor. I had often said to Becky, only a fool would do that. Turned out to be true. I was prophetic. (laughs) For the first three or four years, what I'm sharing with you is very personal to be honest. For the first three or four years, I woke up every day really questioning God. Lord, surely this was a mistake. I would never have picked me to do this. And I was reminding God all the reasons why, that I wouldn't pick me to do this. And I questioned God and questioned God. And finally, I maybe uh, was so annoying about it. Finally, God was gracious to give me a word. And it did not come from another person it was direct to my own heart. He gave me just enough. How many of you know God gives you just enough? I'm experiencing a just enough today. Today. Amen. Just enough. Quit trying to get the whole plan from beginning to end, Dan. Quit trying to have the whole thing. We want all that so we can see, we can plan, us planners. And we can get all our details in, in, you know, all in line. And I have had to repeatedly learn the value of just enough. God's given me just enough to know where to put that foot. And he's given me grace to do that. And just enough to know the next step. Some of you need to quit looking at the whole of your, the rest of your life and say, God, I'll be satisfied with just enough for today. God gave me just enough to know that there was purpose in me being placed in leadership of this fellowship whether I liked it or not, whether I agreed with it or not. And what he did was he, he gave me what I see as specific tasks to be accomplished. I'm not going to tell you what they are. Frankly, you don't need to know. It was important that I knew. What you may find interesting is that none of the tasks that God made clear to me that I had a responsibility for had anything to do with what you would assume would be primary to the functioning Of the pastor had nothing to do with preaching. Mm -mm. It's like, okay, yeah, you'll be doing that too. Had nothing to do even with foundational administrative skills. Yeah, you'll be doing that too, but that's not the task. The task is this, this, and this. And initially, there were three. I will tell you recently, a fourth has been added because I have learned the importance of just enough. Three that he gave me was just enough to make me realize. Okay, I got a job ahead of me in this now. God's going to give me grace to do that. And as the three are being progressing, now he's given me just enough. There's a fourth that has showed up. I believe in just enough. Say just enough. Just enough. <laughs> but the point is this. He has laid out my future before me by giving me these tasks, making it abundantly clear what my tasks are, my responsibilities are as a senior pastor of this fellowship. Therefore, here's what I want to tell you today. I'm bold enough, brave enough, and maybe crazy enough to say this is what I believe. I know that my life is not over until I complete those tasks because I've heard a word from the Lord. So therefore, I'm not afraid of this storm because God has shown the future and my future and what I have responsibility for. It's enough, just enough to tell me, you know what, Dan, you're going to live through this and you're going to make it to the other side. Come on, somebody give praise to the Lord. Maybe you thought you were getting rid of me next week. I'm sorry. I'm confident I'm going to make it to the other side. Friends, when you are living for something a little higher than your comfort. Hello, hear me. When you're living for something a little more than your convenience. When you are living for something a little higher than even the initial excitement of following Christ. And yes, thank God that's there. Or living for something more than the need to be entertained when you come to church. Hello? And living for something more than everything has to be just what tickles your fancy. And and always needing a wow factor every time you come. When you live for something higher than that. When you live for something more than that, even when you are living for something more than, higher than the miracles, the power, the provision, the position, and all the things which can allure us, and you mature to the point of learning how to live for the sake of others around you, I am here to say to you today, that's when heaven begins to open for you. That's when fear loses its grip on your heart. That's when faith starts to take over. Hear me, church, hear me today. Why is it that he had to say, Jesus had to say to the disciples in verse 40, Why are you afraid? You still have no faith? I told you you were going to make it to the other side. By the way, this journey is not all about you. It's not all about me. And if you're going to pray, why aren't you crying out for these other people in these little boats around us who don't even have as much chance as you have of getting, because that boat's small and tossed and about to be totally swallowed by by these waters. And they don't have the Son of God with them. Call out for them. Pray for them. They're in far worse shape than you are. Call out for those who are literally perishing or dying before you. Call out for those who have no voice in this world. That's the spirit of Jesus, church. Call out for those who don't even know there is a God. And when you do that... God will begin to show you your own future and he will begin to speak a word into your heart through something that he's going to do through you for the glory of the name of Jesus. And isn't it amazing that back in Paul's storm of Acts 27, the angel of, I love this phrase, the God to whom Paul belonged and whom he served told him, don't be afraid, Paul, for you will surely stand trial before Caesar. And what's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. Wouldn't it be amazing if that became your testimony and mine? You walk into your place of employment tomorrow morning. Maybe a storm brewing might be a really rough situation. And you might even be relegated to the belly of the ship. They might not even be listening to you or care about one thing you have to say. But what if you walked into that place And suddenly, when you weren't expecting it, and you weren't even planning on it, God whispered something in your heart. Wow. Just that knowing. God's speaking to me. And he says, I've given all those who are sailing with you. I'm giving to you all of those who are sailing with you. You're going to be protecting them. I have you on this journey, but I am commanding life. I'm commanding my favor and blessing. I will give you influence in your community. I will give you influence in your workplace because you're the only one who's going to have a solution and a purpose in the midst of this storm. You're the only one who's going to know the voice of God. You're the only one who's going to speak for God, and your words will not be condemning. Your words will be encouraging, and your words will be filled with hope. And I want you to note this. When that happened for Paul, in one instance of time, because of the crisis, Paul is taken from captive to captain in one second of the ship. That's what happened. He had been in the belly of the ship, just another prisoner, sloshing about in the water. And in one moment of time, he's standing on the deck of the ship, and he's the one giving the commands, and he's the one giving the orders to others and telling everybody what needs to be done that they could be saved. I'm going to close in just a minute, I promise. You've got me too excited here today. You're going to have to stop doing that. But I've got to share with you a picture that this story has, has uh, created in my own heart. <clears throat> with Paul's storm, everything's falling apart. The ship's going down. The Word of God is now, now has preeminence. The man who would touch God through prayer and fasting is now the only voice. The other voices are silenced. In verse 35, it says what he did at that moment. and It's really important. Listen, please. He took a loaf of bread on the deck of a sinking ship. Loaf of bread. And the scripture says he lifted it up and he gave thanks. Gave thanks. Bethesda, you can't do that until you are living for something higher than yourself. You can't do that. You can't do that, that you're lifting up this broken bread and saying, God, as the son of God was broken for me, that I might have eternal life. As he left the throne of heaven and came to this world, not to do his own will, but the will of the one who had sent him. Oh, God, what a privilege it is, Paul can say, that my life could be given for the sake of these 276 guys on this ship. And even to have the knowledge that one day I'm going to stand before Caesar, a lunatic who thinks he's God. I'm going to get the privilege of telling him, you aren't God, there is only one and you're not it. Though we will have the privilege of one day to stand before him and advise him that he's not God. Only a man who's willing to live for the sake of others can give thanks. Lift up that loaf of bread on a sinking ship and give thanks. The question, the challenge to you and me today is can you give thanks in the midst of your storm? Can you give thanks for the office that you're in right now? Can you give thanks for the family that God allowed you to be born into? Can you give thanks for the neighborhood that you're living in instead of living to move out of it? Can you give thanks in knowing that God knew exactly where you needed to be? And can you break that bread and offer thanks? Why don't you go buy a, a loaf of unsliced bread this afternoon. Somewhere. Take it home and lift up that loaf of bread. <laughs> Lord, thank you for allowing me to live through this storm. This has not been fun, but your hand has been on me. Your hand has been on my family and I'm lifting up this bread just as Paul did on a sinking ship. I'm going to say thank you for the power to not just survive. Thank you that not only am I not just surviving, but I'm thriving, God, because of you. Thank you, God, for a word that can give people hope and direction. Thank you, God, for how faithful you are. I lift up this bread in my offering of thanks. And I thank you, Lord, that I'm going to get to the end of my journey. That you have designed for me. No devil in hell is going to cut it short. No storm is going to take it down. And no wave is going to cause me to drown. And I lift up this bread to thank you for that. Lord, you numbered my days before I was born. And when I drew my first breath, you knew which day I would breathe my last. And no weapon in hell can change that. No power of darkness can change that. I'm going through. I'm making it to the other side. And guess what? I'm taking people with me. I am not going alone. By the grace of God, my sons are going. My daughter's going. My wife, my husband's going. My grandchildren are going. All of my family is going. Because you've made that kind of provision. We're all going. And I'm not going without them. We're living for the will of God. For the sake of those who are lost and we're willing to say, God, wherever you have to take me, whatever you have to put me through. Oh, Lord, don't let me lose my perspective on life. Lord, don't let it be just all about me. Forgive me that I've allowed that to happen. But give me a word for those who need you, those who are crying out. Oh, God, it's time for the redeemed of the Lord to say so. Open our mouths, God. Deliver us from our self-focus and even our timidity, God. Let us open our voices and our hearts as we begin to pray. Lord, show us our future. And give us those who are on this journey with us. Maybe 276, it may be two. But your word is that they're going to make it safely through also because you've given me a word. And help me to escape living only for my own concerns. Give me the courage I need and give me your heart. In Jesus' name. And the church said amen.